Overthinking It Podcast, episode 35. Okay, listeners, welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast. We are the podcast and the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We have, as usual, a great show full of uh, overthinking of the popular culture for you. I'm Mark Lee. I'm hosting in the absence of Matthew Rather. Um, he's off again on an intense spiritual overthinking retreat in the woods, communing with nature and the gods and goddesses of overthinking it. So, Does that mean peeing? Exactly, no? yes. So in his absence, uh, we'll still bring you the great show, same great show that we always do. So to introduce the panel, which you just heard a bit of a tease of there, I'm going to ask them to overthink this. And what I'm asking them to overthink is the end of the Jonas Brothers concert movie that just came out. Apparently how it ends is that the three Jonas Brothers, they each get a fire hose and they cover the crowd of young females with uh, an ejection of white goo. And the ejection of white goo is how the cinematical uh, movie review described that. So Jonas Brothers concert movie at the end, they, turn, they get out fire hoses and they cover their crowd with white goo. What does that mean? And to kick off the overthinking it, I'm going to Boston, Massachusetts for Mr. Peter Fenzel. What do you think? Chism! Yes, hi, this is Pete Fenslin from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I'd like to say, Jism! The Jonas Brothers have always been about sexual transformation, the reorientation of suppressed sexual anxiety sorts of feelings. That's why they're particularly popular among particularly repressed people. And this was a veneer, a thin, thin veneer to cover up their, uh, their, their um, proxy, or the bone, which they do with the music and cars. Um, and really, you know, it's, it's like the phone party thing that goes on in clubs, which is not that uncommon. But in this case, um, it's it's totally over their heads. And I just wanted to say the word jism. <laughs> okay, jism it is. <laughs> yes, is it, is it? Mark, let me ask you this. Is it ambiguous at all what that means? No, it's not. It's but I'm just curious. I'm just curious. It is not. It is not ambiguous. But I'm just curious in exploring the perhaps alternate uh, explanations, and perhaps another alternate explanation we can get from first-time podcaster, long-time overthinking it writer, uh, Miss Shana Malowski. Welcome to the podcast. And what do you think about the Jonas Brothers goo? Uh, yo yo. Um, well, first of all, I think that jism does that have something to do with uh, schism, religious? No, I'm just asking. Fenzel. Well, chrism. Chrism is chrism is. Schism is splinters, and jism is spooching all over stuff. So you do that. Yeah, I think it all, all right. fits together really intuitively. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a question. While you talk, I'm going to look up the etymology of jism on the internet. So let's see if I don't come up with some interesting ghouls. Yeah, thank you. I, I need to know. I need to know. Um, but anyway, I was thinking with the Jonas Brothers. Originally, my thought was that the Disney Channel clan, cult, whatever, they've always been sort of against Nickelodeon um, and the slime, so maybe that was sort of a callback to the old slime shows. But then I was thinking, maybe the Jonasters um, are trying to uh, transition into a new type of music, uh, maybe a la Guar or Rammstein, um, <laughs> and, and those bands are, are very big on the jism. Is that the proper use of that term, I, I guess? But uh, yes, that sort of thing of uh, blanketing their audiences with various liquids um, that shall not be named. Well, maybe that's what, something what this that's is really about. Then is uh, narrowing the gap between the performer and the listener. Oh, that's they beautiful. Are, they're con- right. They're connecting. The musicians are connecting with their audience in physical way, aside from just orally. The music, the waves, the sonic waves that pass over the audience and, and enters the ear canal. Um, they're now well. That's entering, sort of they're entering the physical space, and they're, they're, it's their way of reaching out and touching. I, I was in a just completely thinking, non-sexual way. Well, yeah, like um, what's what's that comedian who uh, you know mallets puts a mallet oh. over the yeah Gallagher with the watermelon? It's it's very much the same thing. It's sort of a, a baptism communion. Uh, it doesn't have to be sexual. Get your mind out of the gutter. It wasn't me. Don't patronize me. I don't tell those are three proxy penises and their Jonas juice over on girls. It's indecent. It's immoral. Well, it's improper. We sucks. We should we should 
uh, we should pillory them in the square. Uh, they sh- we should <laughs> Pillar. punish them by spinning off their mullets and taking away their silly suits. Or we could all just listen to Jonas Brothers uh, albums. I think it would probably make us all uh, all happier people and less filled with angst. Mm-hmm. Am I sp- am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Angst, angst, uh, angst. Either. I- Huh? Okay. Hey, speaking of angst, huh? <laughs> speaking of angst, I hear the uh, the, the superheroes of, of of Watchmen are quite angst ridden. And by the way, if somebody, if I'm, if listeners, if I am pronouncing angst wrong, please point it out in the comments and correct me. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the Watchmen is coming out. Movie is coming out finally after much anticipation and almost derailed by a a lawsuit between Fox and Warner Brothers over the rights of it. Um, but we have these super this uh, kind of a different superhero story. Coming out um, after a tremendous amount of hype. So the question I want to ask that we're thinking at panel, and particularly Shayna, who is a big fan of Watchmen and graphic novels, is a couple of things. One is, um, what's with all this hype? And is this actually on the general, uh, the general public's radar and not just this echo chamber of the nerdo, blogo, geekosphere? What do you think, Shayna? Well, um, in terms of the hype, I, I do think that it is going outside of the nerdosphere, um, if only because my my dad has been noticing the commercials. And if anyone in my immediate family notices something, then I assume it's outside the geekosphere, since I'm really the only one in my uh, nuclear family who is really in that world. I don't um, know. I don't know. I, I, um, I was playing against the Mr. Malowski on World of Warcraft last night, and... Uh, I, yeah, he probably kicked your new bass. <laughs> no, no, yeah, kidding. Right. Um, so you're saying that, yes, it, it is just by no other virtue than the, uh, the mark, the saturation of yes, definitely. on TV. And definitely in here in New York City, where, where, I'm, where I am podcasting from, um, I can, in fact, see a 30-foot-tall uh, Watchmen billboard from my window. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that would that actually if that could that be that'd be kind of disturbing and scary. Is it um, Doctor Manhattan's Blue Wang? Because <laughs> if it was, that would be very interesting. That would be, that would be quite a. So Doctor Manhattan can have a Blue Wang, but the Jonas Brothers can't have fire hose penises. Is that what you're saying? The Jonas Brothers uh, is not a rated R movie. That's one thing actually that has been a source of controversy is that Doctor Manhattan's Blue Wang is uh, you it definitely is uh, flapping in the breeze. In this, well, uh, Dr. Manhattan is like, uh, he lives outside space and time. Now, if you could say that the Jonas Brothers also live outside space and time and are sort of godlike entities, then sure, they can do whatever they want. Uh, this might be true. I don't really know uh, them very well. So if Dr. Manhattan lives outside of space and time, how does the breed perturb his wangs sufficiently as to flap it? I've never when seen it flap, that- but I guess it could. You're right. He, I also, I he wills it. Really flapping in the breeze. Breeze. Probably was utterly still, you know, uh, unperturbed by the cross currents of the wind, I would guess. Unperturbed. unperturbed. That's, a, <laughs> that, that's a good word to describe, Dr. Dr. Manhattan's wing. <laughs> True. Anyway, so, okay, so it seems True. like unperturbed. Um, through a combination of massive marketing, um, ubiquitous marketing, that the Watchmen movie is definitely in the conscious of the American popular culture, not just in the geekosphere. So we got that settled. Um, well, what what, yeah, what I think is a a more interesting question to discuss then is is the Watchmen still as relevant or groundbreaking as it was back in the eighties? When a couple of things, one, it was uh, definitely in the height of the Cold War, and so this you know sense of impending nuclear apocalypse was was on everyone's mind, and two. Um, at least from what I've heard and, and, and read, that the, the Watchmen comic book at the time was a was one of the first particularly dark superhero stories, and Whoa. and and, and okay. now now that we are kind of in a post Cold War era where we're not so much fearing the nuclear bomb as we're fearing the suicide bomb, and that you know we've had a boatload of dark superhero movies, especially in the uh, Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale, Batman tellings. Has it all been done now? Is the Watchmen kind of just a, 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 a footnote, it kind of, a, it just, it's, we've passed, we've passed, pa- we've gone past it already. And the Watchmen is kind of a, a, a throwback to what something that's already been done before. Shane, you had something to say earlier. Sorry. Uh, I forget now, but uh, don't worry about it. Uh, to answer your question. And I guess, 
unfortunately i'm not gonna be funny but uh serious sorry i'm, I'm doing the dark <laughs> age it, oh i was gonna say that uh in, in fact when you're saying that uh it was the first dark comic in fact ushered in what is known as the dark age of comics um after the golden and silver ages um you know being superman and batman and so on and then this dark uh Paul fell over the comics world for about a decade after watchmen so uh in that, in that sense, I think it was important historically. Um, now, is it relevant today? Um, in one sense, yes. In one sense, no. Um, so watch sort of a deconstruction of the old Golden and Silver Age comics. As a deconstruction, I'm not sure it really works anymore because the people who are going to go see this movie are predominantly people our age and younger, I feel. And those people um, have only really known the dark, deconstructed comic movies. You know, when you grow up watching, you know, Iron Man and I guess Spider-Man is a bit more optimistic. But, you know, the more recent Batman movies and so on, how, uh, Watchmen doesn't seem very new in comparison, right? That's a good point. Uh, let's, 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 let's step back for a second here. And for, for someone like myself, who is kind of a Johnny-come-lately to the comic book world, I think I, I bought Watchmen a, few, a couple of months ago and read it. And that was actually the first bona fide comic book or graphic novel, what have you, that I've actually just bought and read as that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but still, I mean, I think everybody still has kind of a general sense of what we mean by this golden and silver age uh, type of superhero comic story, but um, just to kind of summarize that, and so know we're exa- what exactly we're contrasting that with. Are we talking about the just a straight up Superman, truth, justice, and American way kind of superhero? Um, yeah, I think I think basically um, uh, originally comics were not as campy as they would eventually become, but then what uh, came was the comics code um, during the 1950s, where there, as, as usual, anytime a new media takes hold, um, all of the fundamentalists go crazy and say, oh no, the children. And so the comics code required that um, comics not be dark um, and not have sexual themes or um, violence that was too terrible. Um, so you read comics from that era, and they're very campy. Yeah, true justice, the American way, blah, blah, blah. Good always triumphs, communist bad, and so on. Um, and Watchmen, I think, ushered in an era which was completely the antithesis of that. Okay, I, I buy that. But yeah, that's I'm, I'm, basic I'm, history, I guess. Fenzel? Hey, can I uh, my, my opinion on this? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be serious. I'll be a good boy, and I won't, won't talk about anything too nasty, if it's okay, where we can put on our big first pants now. Um, so, yeah, first, I think that it's important just to note that Watchmen is innovative in more than one way and is influential and groundbreaking in more than one way. It's influential and groundbreaking in the way that Chin is discussed and the way she's primarily concerned with, which is the most important one in the historical sense, which is that it's important document for comic books. Uh, it's a document that dis- discusses comic books and interprets books at the same time that it is a comic book. It's very formally important. Uh, it, it is very important to the art form and the way it advance. But then there's also the narrative and the actual story. And by this, I include the characters and all the other elements of the story, essentially the narrative, but just the the meaning that's indicated by the doctors, uh, that comic aspecting, but but there's also a version of it that is independent of its dialogue with, or if not independent from, then distinct from, at least in addition to uh, its dialogue with comics. Um, so to so and then so to put that put that down. Jump back a second and say, okay, dark, not dark. It's a pretty simplistic way of looking at it, but it's also very important in the historical uh, uh, framework to recognize that the terms came out the same year as Watchmen. Uh, Sorry, uh, friends, one to jump in, yeah. one second. What came out the same year as Watchmen? Uh, the Dark Knight Returns by Frank ah. Miller, ah. which is yes. the Dark Knight. For a long time, uh, in general, in historical nouns and such, Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns are one and two in sort of the top most influential super, super, uh, super kind of comic book. And sometimes you see like something like Mouse sneak into like the top countdown like that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there are darker comic books. There are in the books that long before Watchmen 
came around were doing a lot of the stuff outside the company that the major publishers were doing. And yes, Watchmen is very influential and important, but not just because it was dark. And the darkness wasn't just because of Watchmen. There were other comic books coming out at the same time, most notably Dark Rhymes, that can really lay claim to that. A Watchmen was complex from a formal standpoint. And the way that it wove together its storylines, the the sort of way that it treated panel order, challenging comic to put together. It's a very intricate work, layering. It incorporates a lot of textual and visual style. Um, it's kind of a tour de force of comic um, range that you have to go back to something like Serb as the art for, uh, to get a sort of present that was on the same sort of impact on people. But, and, and this is to so so what I really want to say, which is that I definitely think that in the other aspect, the aspect of what Watchmen mean to the culture, independently of what it means about comic books, in addition to what it means about comic books. What does it mean to the culture? And I think that uh, perhaps today is not as relevant as it was 22 years ago, but I read Watchmen the second or third time, right after September 11th, and it was phenomenally relevant. Uh, and I think that anybody who re- remembers the Bush years and the sort of the Bush, the Bush years where everybody, well, they weren't good for me. But the good Bush years, in terms of the years, was behind Bush, recognizes the themes, jingoism, and my big brother can beat up your big brother, and the idea of passing on responsibility to uh, a proxy, a superhero, uh, and the moral implications of that. I agree with you. Wow. But, that, that was quite a tour de force uh, uh, overview of, of Watchmen and its significance. Uh, we're going to pause just a second to welcome Mr. Matt Belinky to the call. Hey, uh-huh, Belinky. Uh, just to catch up to speed, we are overthinking the impending arrival of the Watchmen, uh, Watchmen, Watchmen film. And Fenzel just gave us a tour de force uh, description of the uh, kind of the historical and cultural significance and literal significance of the Watchmen graphic novel. Um, Belinky, to, to bring you in here, um, what do you, what is your take on the on the on the Watchmen? Do you think it's still relevant? <laughs> You know, here's the thing. I know that it's pretty much universally accepted that Watchmen is one of the greatest things ever written in the English language. It's, you know, by far the most significant graphic novel. Uh, it deserves to be, like, sent up into space in some sort of spaceship so if the Earth was destroyed, there would be a copy of it preserved for alien civilizations to discover. I'm, I like it. I don't love it, you know, as a graphic novel. I don't, I don't think, I think it's a little overhyped. Overhyped, and I'm I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the graphic novel. And I realized that I will almost certainly be dead by morning from like an angry mob. <laughs> they're they're but, coming, I mean, coming to get us. Though we're, they're, they're, right now, there are um, I would say several hundred overthinking it podcast listeners um, who have ripped the earbuds from their iPods in 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 just agony, and have tossed their iPods to the ground and are stomping it. Um, and they're not listening to this part because they've already stopped listening just out, out of sheer uh, agony from that from that statement. But um, no, I, t- I totally see how, Belinky, you can be um, of that opinion. So you, you mentioned um, something I want to get back to in terms of that, the hype, right? The, the graphic novel itself is hype, which is something I didn't um, – something I wasn't quite thinking of earlier when I was talking about the hype about the movie. So please, I mean, I the, gra- get- the graphic novel is, is pretty much universally accepted to be the best graphic novel of all time. Um, and, and in fact, it's, I think it's uh, on the, at least the most recent printing of it, on, on the very top it says, you know, on the list of Time Magazine's 100 greatest novels of all time. Right, in, but in a way, I feel like if you, if you took the guy from Time Magazine who made that list and pinned him down, I bet he would say that he was doing it just to be sort of contrarian and just to make it an interesting list. Oh, so basically, um, uh, trolling or link baiting. The, the, the Time Magazine guy. Yeah. Maybe, although I don't, I don't feel that it's like he felt that people would um, be offended at him putting Watchmen on the list. I felt, I, I feel that maybe he just felt that it would be kind of like you know, like wow, I'm a loose cannon. This is a cr- this is a crazy list, unlike any list you've ever read before, because I'm so open minded. You know, it's sort of like, I feel like he wanted to put a graphic novel on there, and Watchmen was the obvious one to put on there, but... I would think Mouse would be the most obvious, but go on. What? I would think Mouse would be the most obvious since it won the Pulitzer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I forgot about that one. I guess, I guess, 
you know, and you know what? Like, I would probably, if I were making that list, I would say Mouse probably has more literary merit than Watchmen. Yeah, I'd give you that. And is there ever, you know, so, so I mean, like, is anyone going to disagree with that? I know it's, it's, it's hard to do because, like, you don't want to diss the Holocaust. And I mean, like, no, I like the I've superhero comic better than the Holocaust comic book. You're a terrible person. So has there ever been any consideration of doing a mouse movie? Really? I'm asking. I don't know. It's like a logical, logical uh, choice, right? Well, it's all in real slow motion with lots of ads. That would be great. <laughs> Here's the thing, you know, like Zach people always, directing Mouse, that would be a sight to behold. People always talk about how it's supposed to be unfilmable, but Watchmen is not unfilmable by any stretch of the imagination. Mouse actually is unfilmable. In what way? In that, well, it's, it's very much about the making of a comic book. You know, it's very reflexive. Um, and, you know, like, he, he himself, as an author of a comic book, is appears in mouse a bunch so like it's 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 very much a comic book and not merely a story told through comic book means interesting now I, i'm you could I'm, do it animated you could do it animated i guess but then it would, it would be quicker, um, unfilmable when you say unfilmable what do you mean by unfilmable because i'm sure you could make something shitty out of it you mean like i could make a movie out of it um, uh, when people, I don't get this whole unfilmable. Mouse is unfilmable. Um, you can't just. No, but the movie you've either, heard though. that word applied to Watchmen, right? I've heard it applied to. I don't understand it. I don't understand. Maybe, it. maybe, maybe Shane. I, I kind of agree with you. I don't know where it came from, but for some reason, like people throw around that word in relation to Watchmen as if it's sort of like. You know, like, somebody must have said it, and everyone else is just sort of, like, regurgitating well, it. Shana has certainly said it on the, our blog itself, so I don't know well, if you just quickly... It was a question. That. Yeah, the question po- was, the is Watchmen mobile? And some of the comments on the um, post, uh, it seemed like a lot of people had read the title as, Watchmen is unfilmable, and then uh, a bunch of comments are like, oh, it's not, and it was like, read the article. I didn't say it wasn't. It's just, it's <laughs> difficult, and it's going to be the same, um, obviously, because they're two different media. Um, but I, I think some things are kind of, well, not really completely unfilmable, but, um, the way something is written could demand that if you adapt it, it will be very, very different. Um, Mm. like any, any sort of like very modernist novel, um, with, uh, some sort of stream of consciousness would be very difficult to film. You could do it, but it would be incredibly different. I would imagine. Now, I heard that they were making a Flatland movie. I remember seeing a commercial for that example, Flatland with Mark Sheen. Flatland. Flatland is a Victorian science Oh, that's interesting. Novel. It's about a, a point that journeys into the world of, of two dimensions and meets shapes. Um, and again, you could see it, I mean, uh, from the perspective of the point, being able to perceive the different things that are happening, it probably wouldn't be very accurate representation of like what that fictional character was really like. The idea of Flatland as a movie brought up the idea in my head of uh, the Calvino short story collection Cosmicomics, um, in which uh, there, it's a series of short stories that's all about the same character, and the character is a molecule, I think, I guess. It's never actually explained in the book what he is, but he is a molecule, he is within space, at some point he is a dinosaur, and so on and so forth. I would say that book is unfilmable. So that was my example. And there you have it. So th- I would say, yeah, I would agree that. So some things are unfilmable, and that's the kind of the more radical lines along the, that and uh, Flatland. But for something like Mouse or Watchmen, when they say it's unfilmable, basically people are just saying that it would be difficult to film. Or it would be a bad film. <laughs> be- I've got, I got a comic that would, be, that would be, if not impossible, very difficult to make into a movie. Uh, what about Bazooka Joe? <laughs> I think that would be great. It would have to be a lot of very, very short stories, possibly, and puns. No, I think I think it has to be. If anything, it, it, you, you go big. You make it like a three-hour-long epic about the <laughs> world. Tom, you know what? I can't remember anything about Bazooka Joe, plot-wise, character-wise. What, what, what was? Give me an we example have... of a Bazooka Joe comic. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about loss. It's about. Um, you know the human journey, the human the human experience. I have- and, and he's like, I, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm out of bubble gum. <laughs> I, 
back in high school, you could pretty much write any, you know, if you had to write any literature paper, you could just talk about how, like, the book is about coming of age. Yeah. Every story is about coming of age. Well, hold on a second. I want to go back. Jesus. I want to go back to the second, what Shana said, that I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of gum. What is that from? I have no that's idea. From <laughs> it's from what? No, that's from the, that's from the movie They Live, uh, the Roddy Roddy Piper action movie. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Okay, so I was, I was recalling it from the video game Duke Nukem. Anybody? That's one oh, of the, is that in there? I Duke sort Nukem, of remember it. Duke Nukem 3D, he's full of uh, choice one-liners, and one of them is that the all-out-of-bubblegum line. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's unfilmable. can't make Duke... No, actually, you could. It would be yeah. awesome. You could make a Duke Nukem movie in now. I'm not kind of surprised they haven't yet. Maybe because they're still waiting for Duke Nukem Forever to come out. In which case, we're going to be waiting See, a very long time. The Chun-Li movie. You could do it. Chun-Li. Yeah. Whoever said Street Fighter was unfilmable clearly has been proven wrong on multiple Twice. Twice. <laughs> yes. Um, anybody, anybody going to venture out and see that one? Adventure of Chun-Li? Uh, Legend of Chun-Li? Probably not, although the New York Times review was surprisingly positive. Because no, it's being panned shocked. by everything else, right? Say that again? It's being panned by everything else. Oh, I haven't looked. I, I don't really care. <laughs> you, know, you know what my hope about Legend of Chun-Li is? Is that this is just one of a series of maybe like a dozen movies they're going to make uh, profiling every single character in Street Fighter? That would oh, be man, ambitious. That would be quite So you get like the, the legend of like Planka about like how a man grows up in the jungle and gains electrical powers. And then you get like the legend of E Honda about like a super wrestler who goes rogue and well, like I mean, takes a super wrestler to the street. Aren't they essentially going to do that with the X Men? Are they? Yeah, I they're, thought they were pretty much. I guess you're right that, that basically Street Fighter is taking a page from the X-Men playbook is, is taking a story which is um, in its platonic form uh, about like an ensemble of people and doesn't really highlight one in particular and sort of like having a story which features some of those characters but like very much about one particular character. They should do that with Star Trek too. I'm just saying. Oh. Uh, I'm no, not a nerd. That, but, but they should. That like you want you want to see how like Scotty learns to become such a badass engineer, or yeah, or or nuclear vessels. But the whole movie is about him saying uh, W's instead of V's. Do you know? Uh, it's the struggles of learning to learn the English language. I heard a piece of trivia about that scene once. That so I I actually believe it's true that that scene was. Um, a hidden camera and they literally have those actors on the street asking random strangers that question and the, the reactions that you see are completely real i hope that's true wow i heard it's from like every five minutes they'd have to stop because somebody would recognize them but like they're not it's not like shatner or nimoy you know so it's like not everyone recognize uh oh geez who plays Chekhov? i should know this right I should know that too. Whoops. We are complete failures in our in our adventure. In our, I know. Our I know. Endeavor. Please edit that out. I know. But uh, yeah, like they, they literally just. Um... Yeah. Is that one of the movies that was actually directed by Nimoy? I don't know. Um, I suppose there's I... a thing that internets that we could ask, but um, let's let the listeners uh, duke that out in the comments and and fill in the, our pathetic gaps in Star Trek knowledge. But um, <laughs> let's steer that Starship Enterprise back a little bit to the subject of of Watchmen, um, because uh, there, I think there's still plenty more that we can over, overthink about that before the movie. Oh, can I jump out. in? Absolutely. Um, when we were talking about uh, the hype around the comic, I, th- I I love Watchmen, and I think it's a work of genius, but I can see, um, I think it is a bit hyped, especially um, when we were at the New York City Comic Con, and you see all those millions of people dressed up as Rorschach. Um, I think Alan Moore would probably say, not that I'm all about authorial intention, but I think it's pretty clear that Rorschach is, and all of the characters, are not supposed to be that likable, especially Rorschach, who is pretty sociopathic, I would say. Right. Um, and yet there's this whole contingent of fans who loves the comic book specifically because of him, and they identify with him and his uh, sociopathy, nihilism, and so on. And so it's sort of like a, a weird fan base that uh, they're, they're sort of I don't want to say not getting it, but getting it in a different way than perhaps the author intended it. Just because the hero is an anti-hero doesn't mean that you can't do cosplay of the anti-hero, right? Or the I mean, plenty yeah, of people do cosplay. But, of the I villain, agree with right? you. <laughs> I yeah, but, I can understand Rorschach, but like, um, 
I mean, they're, they're, if you don't know anything about Watch, they're pushing that now of, like, let's say, the Night Owl and all his glory. And they're, they're sort of like, you know, glamour shots. And they yeah, made yeah, like, it was like a pretty bad hair. Maybe I am misreading the comic book, but my point, I, I, what I read is that he's a highly ineffective superhero who I don't believe manages to commit any real acts of superheroics. Yeah, he's and, really, you know, of course not. He, I mean, he can't even, uh, the whole point is that he is impotent in many levels. He can't uh, manage to get it up in the comic unless everyone, uh, he and the girl are in costume, which is sort of a commentary on the weirdness of being a superhero, I suppose. But yeah, I yeah. think all of them are supposed to be anti-heroic, not in the cool, badass Clint Eastwood sense of the term, but anti-heroic in like not heroic, not a person you want to be sense. Right. I mean, in, in the, the only one, I mean, obviously the, the only two people who, who really qualify as superheroes is Dr. Manhattan, um, who has a pretty unlikable existence. And uh, uh, what is it? Vite? Vite? I, I can spell it. I can't. I've never. Ozymandias. Let's just say Ozymandias. Yes, Ozymandias. I've never been called upon to pronounce it until this moment. Um, who actually does have amazing skills in combat, is really clever, has great technology, and theory, you know, from a certain perspective, does manage to save the world, but at the same time is a complete monster. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think I mean, certainly the advertising campaign for Watchmen seems to be missing the point a little bit about these sort of like these gorgeous, you know, um, artsy shots of like everyone in costume posing as if they're about to like, you know, go out and like challenge the Justice League well, to how, single. Combat. How else would, could you do it? I think I think you do it the, the same way the covers of the comic books. It's just a sort of like. Um, this sort of threatening image of like a, a clock, you know, reaching midnight, the smiley face that like, you know, the, these sort of like uh, symbols that like, you know, it's up to you to delve. I don't know. I mean, the if, if you're, are, well, if you're well, Alan Moore, you're going to say you don't do it. It shouldn't be a movie and you shouldn't be advertising it that like, you know, oh. it should be hiding its intent, not, not, um, you know, splashing everybody across the cover and they're, you know, uh, power poses. Well, if you're Alan Moore, you also have an incredibly scraggly beard and look kind of frightening. Um, and you yes. um, worship some Roman snake god in your basement, but like sort of ironically. Yeah. <laughs> I love Alan, Alan Moore. <laughs> For Alan Moore fans out there, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, uh, Lost Girls is unfilmable. I, I haven't read it, but it seems to me. <laughs> Yeah, for, only because it would violate like pornography regulations, and you know, in almost any country on earth. Now, how about not that country? That um, this is totally off topic, but uh, there is, uh, I think, the Pirate Bay was trying to form its own sovereign country on an abandoned oil rig, which it's oh yes, yeah, Sealand. Sealand, yes. On Sealand, uh, it probably does not violate. I really want to write a movie about Sealand. Can we do it? Uh, Let's do it. I Let's guess, make a movie. Yeah. Well, because um, I actually read a lot up on Sealand. Um, I think Sealand was the. There are a bunch of little me countries like this that aren't really recognized, but I think Sealand was the one um, where they were there in maybe the 70s or 80s, and they actually had a battle against some helicopters on Navy, on this. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. So, pretty sweet. And I think they also had a civil war. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I I am. Um... I, I just love the concept of this. I love the story of, of Sealand. Um, it is, is kind of it is one of my goals. One of my many goals in life is to um, is to move the overthinking at servers to Sealand, so that we are Mark, exempt from any any the reach of any laws. Would you say that the story of Sealand is better than the story of Waterworld? <laughs> at this point, yes, because no one's trying to make a shitty movie out of it. You know what I. <laughs> Waterworld gets a bad rap. I think Waterworld is fine. Waterworld is like, you know, it was set up to fail before it came out. Yeah. If it had been so expensive, people would have been like, wow, this is like kind of like a wacky, a wacky but, you know, at least interesting action movie. I know. I say that without actually having, having seen it. I just associate really? Waterworld with Kevin Costner, and I associate Kevin Costner with The Postman, which I have seen <laughs> and hated. So therefore, I just assume that they're all in the same boat. Kind of I mean, I, I feel like I have not seen the Postman. So if you could buy us, you know, we'd be great at Kevin Costner trivia. Kevin but Costner. I feel like the Postman probably makes Waterworld, you know, look like El Postino. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, if you, if you could follow that chain of logic. 
I, I'm trying to follow it, but then I'm going to stop. I'm because saying that the I'm postman is, is probably what, what much worse. What was the than Italian water. version? <laughs> now, what would it be? The, the Mundo de Aqua would be the, the good version of Waterworld. <laughs> if you're going by that logic of postman. All right, never mind. I don't speak Italian. The postman, the, the Kevin Costner postman in Italy. What do you think they called it? Uh, <laughs> Apocalypto. <laughs> 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 okay, let's let's come back to Watchmen a little bit, and we're gonna probably wrap up soon. Um, one question I wanted to ask of you guys is the the kind of the cryptic uh, tagline for the movie: "Who watches the Watchmen?" I think if you've read the graphic novel, you kind of have a good sense of what that means. But if you have no idea what the Watchmen is about, it might not make any sense. What do you guys think? Uh, you might think different conclusions. It's you might think it's a film adaptation of a uh, juvenilian satire from back in the day, since that's where it comes from, apparently. Well, only if you're a big uh, classics nerd, I guess. Otherwise, I don't know. I, I, guess it, I guess it's pretty clear that it has to do with some sort of dark idea of like, yeah, who, who watches the superheroes. I don't know if it's that hard to understand i don't know i can't i can't be I mean, good about this it's, conversation it's mysterious, but i don't think there's there's anything too weird about advertising a movie by being a little mysterious about like what it what it is i mean the interesting thing is like if i recall correctly the characters in the there's no group as the watchman right this is in true graphic novel that's correct like nobody ever nobody ever is like and we shall call ourselves the watchman you know, right? They're the Minutemen in the graphic in the graphic novel, right? And like once again, it looked at the advertising, and it's like the final poster is a picture of everyone posed together, and it's called Watchmen. You would assume that it is about a group of superheroes called the Watchmen, and you would be wrong. But I mean, I, I guess in a way that that somehow I feel like they're not trying too hard to pull in the people that don't already have some sort of working familiarity with what the hell it is. But that, get, that kind of comes to this other thing I've been wondering, is, seriously, how many people have read this graphic novel? Can it really be that many that has built up this fan base where that the movie studio is going to be catering specifically to them with their extremely, extraordinarily visually faithful rendition of it? Can it be that many people out there? You know what, but I, I there feel are a lot like... of nerds. There are a lot of nerds. I- I feel like there could be a far larger number of people who haven't read it, but know enough of it to sort of want to see it. Sort of the same way that, like, obviously Spider-Man is very popular as a movie. I don't think, like, many of the people who want to see it, like, you know, are regular readers of the Spider-Man comic book. But, like, this is probably a horrible example, and you're all shooting to that. People sort of, like, know about, familiar with the brand, even if they're not familiar with the product. On the most basic level. The reason behind that is, is, and and this goes back to something that Shane mentioned earlier, is that um, people, the superheroes that we grew up with are Spider-Man, Superman, and Batman. And the reason why we grew up with them is because they were in TV serial adaptations that had just seriously saturated the market in a way that a graphic novel by itself cannot. And and the reason why I bring this up with Shane is because Shane has said that people uh, of our generation have grown up with the dark superhero. And I would kind of disagree with that a little bit because for me, myself, I grew up with pretty campy superheroes, um, the Bat- specifically the Batman TV show and its reruns and Super Friends, also in reruns. The point being that with Watchmen, though, um, it hasn't been adapted in that way before. Um, and so the reason why, you know, Superman, for example, had such a, you know, penetration into the popular cultural, cultural mindset is because of the, of the, of the TV show. Which isn't there for a while. Right. So there's not that same point of reference, shared point of reference that everyone has. I guess. But right, here's the thing I, I'm thinking about the way that they're advertising it. Do you guys remember the first Watchmen trailer? And all it is is like a Smashing Pumpkin song, sort of like a montage of cool images. I think so. Yeah. I like, what I'm saying is, like, has there been a Watchmen trailer that really spells out what the film is about? It's like in a world in which superheroes have been outlawed. You know, like, like one of, you know, like, like, you know, one of them is about to uncover a conspiracy 
you know, in a world on the brink. I'm trying to think of like how you would do a trailer that really sort of like sets up like, okay, now I know what the movie's about. Like, I feel like all their advertising is sort of like, you already are familiar with Watchmen. All we're going to do is show you some random footage and we're not going to like make any effort to explain what the hell is about. So my, my personal take on that is that I saw all those trailers and thought they looked pretty cool and that, you know, there's a very, you know, dramatic and mysterious plot around and you know dr manhattan says why should i save a world i have no stake in um so i had this kind of general sense that there was you know obviously you know the stakes were very high in this movie um but then reading the graphic novel and not to spoil the ending of that um squid for everyone who hasn't seen that um (laughs) that Mm. i got a totally different impression of uh, i got you know the, the trailers did not uh set set me in the right direction for what the story was going to be like for the graphic novels for the graphic novel so, I mean, I guess, do you think that people are going to feel a little burned by Watchmen? That, like, they're going to feel that it was sold as, I mean, it's being sold as a superhero movie. It's really an anti-superhero movie. Yeah. Think about, like, like what are the big action set pieces of Watchmen? You know, There's like, really what are the only big, one. like, battles? Which one is that? The, the, prison, the prison break? The prison break. Yeah, and that's yeah like, that, the that's the only thing, like, wow, guys in costumes are going to, like, use their kung fu to take out the bad guys. And then, like, the rest of it is sort of, like, about the limitations of that and how, like, like that's completely inadequate for the problems that actually face the world. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that's when, when people describe it as unfilmable. Maybe they mean, like, not so much visually, but, like, the subject matter is so sort of, like, cuts against the grain of what people want to see from a superhero movie. Um, well, it's very t- the comic anyway. I don't know about the movie. Is very talky um, and very dense yeah. and intellectual. Um, and I I don't think that's what we want from superhero movies. Although I mean, yes, The Dark Knight was intellectual, but all the um, you know phil- uh, philosophy was done in you know clever sound bites in between awesome chase scenes and battles yeah. and stuff. Watchmen is not really like that. I mean, Zack Snyder has taken a little heat from, like, going directly from one comic book adaptation to another comic book adaptation, both being very, you know, dramatic visual styles. But in another way, like, these projects are polar opposites. That 300 is an extremely visual story that's almost all action. Very, uh, The plot was so meager that they had to invent some plot to pad it out to 90 minutes. You know, whereas this movie is... Very little action, certainly much less action than you'd expect from a big budget superhero movie. And, uh, you know, they're so dense and so many words on the page that, like, you know, I think it's probably the, the, the final cut is, is pushing three hours. And obviously they're, they've lost a whole bunch. So, I mean, in a way, they're, they're very different adaptations. The challenge is, you know, the early buzz coming out on this is that um, it's not going to make a lot of sense for someone who hasn't read the graphic novel. I think that, that what we speculate how they're definitely targeting it for the fans of the graphic novel seems to be the kind of the very pre, pre-official re- review round consensus. But we will see soon enough, I guess in a few days, about um, what you know, the, the final critics weigh in on the, the Watchmen movie. Uh, any final yeah. thoughts on the Watchmen before we wrap up the show? Yeah, yeah I was just sort of wondering... Um, there's a there's a lot of talk going around about how the ending has changed. That yes. is not the same ending yes. as in the uh, the graphic novel. I don't know if the ending's been leaked. I don't know if any of you know it because you've been reading the internets, and that word has gotten out. I'd be kind of curious to, to have everyone put forward a, a guess as to how it will end, and and you know whoever's right will win Ooh. the respect of the internets. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. Um... I don't actually have an answer to this, so I've really set myself up for failure. I don't know that I have an answer um, specifically, but I'm going to guess that um, Ozymandias does something big. Not squid, but something something crazy. Yeah, by the way, if, if, if you haven't already been scared away by the spoiler alerts, now we're just going to straight up reveal the ending to Watchmen. Pretty much. Yeah. The comic book. No, yeah. From what I understand, and this is from David uh, David Givens, who was the, the illustrator of the Watchmen novel, when he spoke at Comic-Con, um, he let on essentially that something very destructive will happen. Like Ozymania still does something, uh, something big. Um, right. It's, it's not, it's not a squid same, monster. Right. It, it accomplishes the same thing that the squid did, um, but it's not a squid. 
I mean, maybe he could do something with some scientific thing that he has made, some sort of bomb. I don't know, maybe, yeah. not a I nuke, mean, but something something that destroys um, a bunch of people in a city and then pins it on Dr. Manhattan or something like that. I don't know. Right. I mean, that, that, Rather the, the than aliens. Do is like, is like blow up a nuke in a city, blame it on terrorists, blame it on Dr. Manhattan, blame it on some sort of a third party and it unites everyone against that third party or, you know, and, you know, make it, make it like some sort of, which is obviously less interesting than the, the giant alien sea. But honestly, I mean, that's one of those things where like, maybe I'm just not cool enough, but like, I was sort of reading it and I'm like, that seems a little, the ending, I'm, I'm, the ending to Watchmen seems weird to me. That's what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that like, it always struck me as like, wow, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I, I point. Yeah, it, it was dark. It was it was bleak, and it's you're scratching your head at the end. It wasn't just bleak. What kind of a person would think that like here's the way I'm going to end the Cold War? I'm going to genetically engineer some sort of a of a sea monster, and then I'm going to have a bunch of comic book writers write a backstory for it, and then I'm going to teleport it into a major urban area, and I'm going to release some sort of psychic bomb. It was like a, such a ridiculously complicated, stupid plan. And somehow, you know what I mean? Like, there's got to be an easier way to end the Cold War than, like, you know, with the... You, you know what I mean? I think I, yes, so I, this, I agree with you. Right, so this is how uh, the Watchmen movie ends. So that Ozymandias uh, convinces Richard Nixon to, um, you know, dramatically increase defense spending and bankrupts the Soviet Union, just like Ronald Reagan did. So it all wraps up. <laughs> That's my prediction. Or pandas, more pandas. More pandas. And some ping pong. Uh, Oh, I was going to say that I agree with you in that when I recently reread Watchmen, um, the squid uh, struck me as strangely optimistic as opposed to the rest of the novel, which is completely bleak. The idea, which a lot of science fiction um, novels pose, that if there was a big alien attack, especially an alien giant squid attack, that everyone in the world would just come together and, you know, peace forever and ever, I feel is a bit... Uh, ridiculous. So, uh, well, well done, Alan Moore, for being so hopeful. But uh, I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess now that I think about it, it's like you really believe that the Cold War would end because of like a space squid teleporting in from Dimension X? And, yeah, like you don't think even the communists like, are gonna try to ally with the squids? <laughs> something like that. I mean, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't quite see Ozymandias' logic. But once again, it's like I feel apologetic about saying this because it's so accepted that this is like a perfect work of genius that like I'm sort of pointing out my own ignorance by like being like, wow, that seems like really out of left field and unsatisfying. No, I mean, you should be able to point out the flaws. Um, The post that is going up eventually that I wrote about Watchmen is pointing out that one of the reviews, which is the Hollywood Reporter review, um, seems to have missed all the points in in the original comic and just uh, to hate it for many of the reasons that a lot of people like it. Um, not even going into the squid because uh, there is no squid in the movie. And so I guess I guess if you, Matt Blinky, wrote a review of the movie and, uh, you know, said, well, I mean, of course, the movie's bad. The comic is bad. A, a lot of us wouldn't necessarily um, put that much weight into your, your review. But otherwise, I think you can, of course, point out flaws in what is considered a great work of art. Yes. All right. I'm going to, for predicting the ending, the, the incredibly, uh, like, Zack Snyder has, like, giant bowling balls of steel award would be that his plan is to fly airplanes into the twin towers and pretend oh the terrorists did, and that's how he can end the cold war Whoa. uh that's not gonna happen uh i'm saying that the actual ending is it, it dovetails with cloverfield and that he sends the cloverfield monster to new york so just because that footage already that footage already exists and i think it's the same didn't it wasn't a fox that did a uh, cloverfield not Wait, sure, but uh, for the purposes of... Let me, let me of, check it. Sure. I'm, I'm going to... Yeah, go on. If for no other reason than just to create some kind of... Uh, to fulfill some strange fan fiction uh, crossover between Cloverfield and... Well, if, and if we're going that route, then he might as well um, have uh, Skynet become sentient and uh, robots and so on. 
Yes. Right. We, we, we unite against that. Actually, I think is plausible. That somehow, like a, a machine, artificial intelligence menace rises up and destroys half of New York, and that's what's going to, you know, bring about the end of war and uh, and peace between the Soviet Union and the United States. That I, I will. I'm putting all my overthinking it uh, geek cred on all of my chips onto that one spot right there. I don't know what I'm going to win if I do. All right, so there you got you got something going. Okay, so I guess we're going to have to wait till this weekend. To find out how it actually all goes down, uh, probably some of the overthinking it writers will go out and check it out. Uh, we'll be sure to let you know what we thought about it. We don't do reviews so much per se on overthinking it, but um, you can sure as hell bet that we are going to subject um, Watchmen to the that movie to the level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. So um, this about it for the show. Well, before we wrap it up, um, I just wanted to remind everybody that if you have questions for us, comments. Hate mail, love mail, love letters. You can email them to podcast at overthinkingit.com. Yes, the email is back working. So all of you who have been uh, you know, trying to uh, email us your love messages and have getting them bounced back, you can start again and we'll start receiving them. So we appreciate that. You can also give us a call at 20EATLOG01. That's 203-285-6401. If you leave a voicemail, we'll play it back on the show. Um, we'd also appreciate it if you would rate the podcast on iTunes. If you click on the link inside of your iTunes and it takes you to the interface in the iTunes store, give it a rating, give us a comment. We'd appreciate it. Um, and lastly, don't forget to please take the survey. It's on the homepage above, right above the podcast section. Um, it's going to help us sell advertising and ruin the show. But again, think about the cost-benefit analysis. A little bit of advertising means that we can quit our day jobs and do this podcast perhaps more than once a week. I know that's what you're all waiting for. So... Uh, thank you, Mr. Belinky, for joining us for the show. No problem. And I just want to point out both uh, Cloverfield and Watchmen produced by Paramount, so that the the dovetail is already there. Paramount? Yeah, Par- Paramount. Produ- uh, never mind. Let's not go into it now. So says so says Wikipedia, which is never wrong. Never wrong. And also never wrong is Shana Malowski. Thanks for joining us for your first podcast experience. And maybe the last. Dun, dun, dun. No, I, I might come back. You'll see. Please do come back. I think all our listeners would <laughs> definitely appreciate it. Thanks as well to Peter Fenzel, who had to drop out of the call earlier due to technical reasons. Uh, Fenzel, if you have your prediction of how the Watchmen movie is going to end, I definitely want to see that in the comments. That's it for the show this week. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs>